Welcome to the Love Your Space podcast, where we explore the world of functional design and how it transforms your space into your own happy place. Whether you're a seasoned design enthusiast or just starting out, this podcast is for you. Join us as we chat with experts in their fields, from interior designers and chefs to artists and musicians, as they share their tips and tricks for developing an aesthetic and finding a vibe on a budget, discussing where people find inspiration and how they balance function and beauty. We'll also dive into the psychology behind why our surroundings have such a profound impact on our mood and well-being. So whether you're looking to spruce up your living room, organize your life, or simply get inspired, we've got you covered. Tune in to the Love Your Space podcast, and let's get started on creating a space you'll love to come home to. All right, Walls Need Love, we're back with another episode of Love Your Space. Today, I'm super excited because not only do I get to learn some things that I'm very interested in, I also get to taste some wine on this episode during the episode, so this is gonna be really cool. Today we have Kelly Cornette. She's from Minnesota, my dad's from there, so go Vikings. Sorry, Kirk Cousins had an accident on Sunday, unfortunately, but we'll get through the season. Kelly is just, I don't think started, I'm speaking for myself here, but I don't think started life thinking she was gonna go into wine from her bio, but she fell in love with wine and has traveled everywhere and it's become a passion of hers where she enjoys helping people, helping restaurants, and just overall helping people like myself that like to learn more about wine but have no idea where to start. So this is why I'm super excited today. Kelly, welcome to the Love Your Space podcast. Thank you, it's good to be here, such an honor. Yeah, I'm so excited about this. When the possibility of you coming on the show was like in the talks, I was like, uh, yes, please. Please, Nina, please make this happen. You did so, say that uh, you get to drink wine today on air. So at least I can provide <laughs> you with that experience. The great part is like no one, it might be nine in the morning. It might be, you know, eight o'clock at night. No one has any idea. We're going to, we're going to do this. It's going to be fun. You know, at the beginning of this, we like to just talk, learn a little bit about you. Then we'll have like a little fun segment and then we'll uh, end it and, and I'll go off and run to the wine store and buy more wine. That's probably how today's going to go. <laughs> Perfect. I never am sorry for sparking wine purchases. So that's yeah. great. <laughs> if you buy more wine after talking to me, I'm not sorry about that. If you don't mind, why don't you share a little bit? I mean, I've read a little bit about you, so I know a little bit more than others do, but maybe give us a little background on how you got started in, in wine and like kind of maybe what led you down that road. Yeah, it's a fun path to always find out from people how they got into wine. It's one of my favorite questions. And oftentimes I ask people, what did you do before wine? Because chances <laughs> are there was something before wine. For me, I actually grew up around wine. My dad traveled a lot. He was in the early days in the 1980s of tech business and wine was on every table with clients. He was the guy who picked out the wine from the wine list at restaurants. Okay. And so wine was part of his business. And we traveled a lot, so I was a little baby in a backpack going to Napa, going to California. But I discovered very early on that wine was part of this connection with people and not necessarily in always just friends and family, but my dad was using it in business. And so I was right. interested in what was the whole intrigue about this crazy beverage and why did people travel for it and how does it right. grow and all this stuff. So yeah, that was very early on. My family was really into it, but I was in grad school studying exercise physiology, so not wine, 
But I was living in Virginia, and Virginia was just exploding with this early wine wine country, winemaking. There were vineyards and wineries. And I decided after I got my graduate degree, I didn't want to do that work right away. So I mm-hmm. picked up a part-time job pouring wine at a winery. Okay. I just wanted to try something different after writing my whole big thesis in grad school, and I just right. needed a brain break. But what I realized is that in Virginia, being in this wine country, it brought everything that I knew from growing up to an industry and to a professional sense. So I finally got to see, you know, how the wine was made, why people were coming to purchase it. It was such an incredible opportunity to have so many conversations about wine. So then I became the manager. <laughs> so they were like, this girl, she she knows a little something about wine prior to right. this. So. Yeah, I started, that's where everything really just boomed for me professionally was working at a winery in Virginia. I also went to grad school, so I understand the pain of the dissertation and thesis and all that and the need for a brain break. So that's kind of a a lucky happenstance that wine kind of took over. Wine Um, was in my backyard. I think about there's so many places in the United States where the wine country wouldn't have been in my backyard after grad school, but it was in Virginia. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad. So speaking of it being in your backyard, then if we talk about wine regions, got Napa, everyone knows that we've got Europe, old, old world. I think most people know that. What are some of the areas or regions that you enjoy the most or would tell people, Hey, you should check this out. Don't just think of the the big heavy hitters. There's a lot of other, other ones out there. That's honestly my favorite part about the wine world is that there's continual exploration so you think you know something and then the next day you realize there's so much more to know and it has to do with how unique these places are i study a lot why wine tastes the way it does i do what's called blind tasting with groups of other professionals here in atlanta but it really has taught me that certain places express wine in certain ways And the more that you taste, you're like, oh, well, that place and maybe that vintage and how that winemaking process is used, you can taste it in the wine. And so I always encourage people to think about noticing those differences while they're tasting from around the world. So if you have something from Spain, there are certain practices, certain regulations that happen there and that can show up in the flavors. If you have something from Australia, maybe it's coastal. Maybe if it's by the water, you'll start tasting that Mm -hmm. different expression of being ocean side or ocean winds that come in. So it's really fun. Right now, I'm loving loving Spain. I was just there. So usually my my love of buying or tasting wine comes from where I just was. (laughs) Spain is very fun right now. I think there's a lot of cool things happening and we're getting a lot of the next generation of these classic wine producing regions. So next next generation people in France, next generation people in Italy. It's the the kids watching what their parents did and then saying, okay, Mm -hmm. well, this is what I would do in this area. So I would look to those classic winemaking regions, learn about what makes them so classic, and then discovering what the next generation is doing with the land and how they're changing. Like that's the fun place to be for exploring. Okay. Okay. I like that. So my, my brother is really big into wine and he loves Napa and they usually go out there more you know, many times a year. When I started tasting, I kind of liked Europe a lot better. Bordeaux and I don't Spanish wine. So like I'm excited for today since uh, you picked out a Spanish wine for me to taste. But 
I also have no problem like signing up for one of these clubs and just randomly picking wine and just seeing what it's like. I think too many times people overthink it. What are your thoughts on that? As far as if someone's new, do you see benefits to like maybe joining these clubs and just grabbing willy nilly or going to the wine store and just picking something new? Oh, or do yeah. you think that they should kind of like go about it a certain way only? I think that the beautiful part about diving in and going down the rabbit hole with an interest in wine and a curiosity is that it's a continual opportunity to try something new. So I'm always encouraging people, if you're interested and you want to start tasting different things or, you know, you, hey, those wine clubs that just randomly choose for you, that's fine. But my favorite way to encourage people to start looking into wine is to find a local wine shop that makes them feel good when they walk in. If you sure. don't feel good, it sometimes can be intimidating, that kind of thing. Try the next shop, but find <laughs> somebody you can have a conversation with. If you're lucky enough and there's a winery near you and drivable, try that too. You can go visit these places. But going and saying, I'm going to have a conversation. I'm going to ask some questions. I'm going to start to describe what I like in a wine, even just a couple couple terms, finding that personal vocabulary, the people at the wine shop will love that. It's totally okay to ask questions. It's okay to say, hey, I normally drink this, but I really want to try something new. Do you have anything in these flavors that I enjoy? They okay. will love that. They know the wines okay. on the shelf. So right. yes, wine clubs for random exploration, totally cool. But if you have a shop in your backyard, I say go there, have a conversation, ask some okay. questions. <laughs> yeah. And oftentimes these shops have all kinds of tasting events set up anyway. So maybe just jump in if you're nervous, because then there'll be other people there anyway, right? Absolutely. Taste with other people and then and figure it out from there. Okay. I, you know, I personally haven't ever done that, but I do have some friends that are level one Psalms and whatnot, and they used to send me ideas and that was always kind of fun too. Oh yeah. The community of of wine professionals, a lot of us are in it because we are also into hospitality and we love making people happy. So sure. it's never something you should feel afraid about asking a question or having a conversation about. I mean, bring a, bring a, have a, have a group over and say, everybody bring a bottle to share. And so you automatically have the opportunity to taste a bunch of things all at once. That's the type of fun exploration that can happen through these conversations about wine. Well, okay. So since we're, we've kind of approached it, you picked out this nice bottle for me. If everyone on, on screen here, let's see if I can come in here, put it up there. Let's talk about this one and how I would go about properly tasting it instead of just taking it to the head, right? Well, if you, if, if you have those days and you need to do that, I'm not judging. I'm not judging anybody. But so typically, yes, I will jump into that wine in a second. But one, uh, there's kind of like four major steps of approaching a wine you know nothing about. The first thing okay. you want to do, you want to look at it. So much about the wine can actually be discovered by looking at it. You can tell the viscosity, which will tell you, you know, maybe it'll have higher or lower alcohol. It tells you if it might be sweet or not, but based on how much it hangs to the glass. So there's that. You can look at the color and you'll know, okay, is this going to be possibly from a thicker skinned grape versus a thin skinned grape? How much skin contact was happening? So there's so much you can get from looking at the wine. Then my favorite part is smelling it. And okay. when you smell it, you're looking for things that you're reminded of in your own experience. So you're bringing 
everything you've ever eaten in your life, everything you've ever smelled in your life, that all comes with you when you come to a glass of wine. And so you're thinking okay. about things that it reminds you of, whether it's fruits or non-fruits, things in the earth, spices, herbs, that kind of thing. And you're trying to categorize those things and then you're tasting it and you're seeing how it feels on your palate. You're seeing if your mouth is watering, if the alcohol is finishing hot on, as you swallow, like all of those things are characteristics of the palate and the structure of the wine. And then the biggest thing, Chad, is deciding if you like it or not. <laughs> sure. So those are your four. That's what I'm going to tell you. So yeah, okay. looking at it, smelling it, tasting it, feeling it, and then do you like it? That's going to get you a lot of different uh, experiences when you're tasting wine. When you're experiencing a new bottle, like, do you kind of go through all those things every time because you enjoy that process? I try to. You know, sometimes sure. it's the social uh, happy hours or tailgates or whatever it is, and I'm not right. seriously studying the wine. But I do think it's very important to at least just take one moment and I try to focus on what I'm tasting, just so I remember, because the fun part for me is then knowing that certain wines taste certain ways from different places, and I'm building a database always of these wine flavors, producers, places, and that allows me to have the vocabulary to describe what I want to taste again. So if I right. go to a restaurant and I say this one time, I had XYZ, I'm using some of the terms that I thought about in that moment, and mm -hmm. I'm going to end up drinking things I like more often. So okay. I always try to give at least a moment for the wine, even if it's tailgate. <laughs> I understand. I understand. So my, I had a, a good friend whose dad would always twirl the wine and like look at its legs and do all that stuff. He would do it constantly, like the whole entire time. And I was just like, man, I'd probably be spilling this if I was doing this this often. But it was his number one thing. He, I think he enjoyed doing that more than tasting the wine, like Ugh. just watching it and, and living with it like that. So... So another question came to mind while I was doing this. What are the, like, because I have no idea on this, like some wines should be aerated maybe a little bit more or decanted. Is that something that you figure out over time or like how, like what's the process of all that? Oh, so you mean like decanting it or giving yeah. it time to breathe and yeah. all of that? Yeah, it is definitely something that it comes with experience of, knowing what kind of flavors you want to be drinking. Because the interesting part about the discussion of decanting or aerating and all of that, I still think that wine is such a personal experience. So I've learned recently, especially in my more professional role of doing tastings and serving, I don't expect everybody to like wines the way that I do. And so if you aerate a wine and if you have it decant, different compounds come forward to the forefront. So if someone wants to drink that wine right out of the bottle, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna tell you that's wrong. Sure. But there are right. certain ways that winemakers want their wines to be expressed. And so typically I'll ask if I'm buying a wine directly at a winery, I'll say, is this something I should hold on to for a while? So I'm I'm going to the experts for for okay. that type of information. But I like to see how the wine changes. So oftentimes if I open up a wine that is uh, more of a thicker skinned or maybe it's younger type of wine and I, and I want to see how it changes with air, I always pour myself a little bit in the glass and then I'll put it in the decanter and I'll try it a half hour, 45 minutes later and I'll see how it changed. And that's also super nerdy fun for me. Yeah. And that does happen. The wines will change no, I, as they yeah. get air. Yeah. Totally. Like I, I've enjoyed doing that in certain settings for sure because I have a friend that he enjoys that process 
the most out of wine and would rather have for a party, let's say multiple bottles open and start and end with them differently. And that's just a different way to experience it for sure. So that sounds like a really good party. That's the kind of party I want to be at right there. <laughs> that sounds perfect. Well, he was in Atlanta forever, but now he's in Chicago. So uh. I love that. Atlanta, we have we have a good time. We there's a lot of people here who like sharing wine and pulling corks. So that's what we do. But I did get very excited. You reminded me when you asked, okay, Kelly, take me shopping. What should I pick out? What should I buy? I during the pandemic and during the whole virtual world. I did a lot of online tastings with people and I did them all over the country. I had clients in Alaska. I had clients in wow. Washington state. So what I was learning how to do was search for wines and then help people go shop for them. So typing yeah. in your zip code, finding a shop by you right. was so fun, Chad. And then <laughs> I was able to go virtually shopping with you. So you trusted me enough to pick out this beautiful bottle of wine and I really was excited that you had that available because I was just there. I just visited this winery. So this is from the area, a region of Rioja in Spain. And I was in the town called Haro, which is kind okay. of the central, the city central. And this winery is located right there. This is Lopez de Heredia. And nothing really has changed in 130 something years or whatever of wow. this place. It's so historic. Unlike a lot of other people in Rioja, there have been outside investors or have changed ownership, but Lopez de Heredia is owned and every detail is still handled by the family who founded it. So wow, that's, that's cool. really cool. And just a very historic, iconic place. Yeah. So you have it in your glass, don't you? I do. So, but on the bottle, there's like a drawing of a big building. Is that part of the winery itself? Let me see the bottle. I can't remember what's on that like, one. It's uh. Oh, yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. The building. Yep. You got it. A lot of places in Rioja will buy grapes from other uh, owners, but right. they own every inch of their vineyard, vineyards and they supply the grapes for their wines. So okay. going there, I just kind of felt like I wanted to soak in everything about this place. It is a place that if you know enough about these wines, you start to taste that that is a Lopez de Heredia wine. So okay. I wanted to smell the place. I wanted to see it. I wanted to feel mm -hmm. what it was like to be there. It was absolutely incredible. I will never forget the smell of those cellars. <laughs> and that's a memory locked in. When you smell this wine, Chad, mm -hmm. is there something that it reminds you of? Well, so I can already kind of tell, I think, so the type of wines that I normally gravitate towards are like a little bolder, a little heavier, as long as it's not like a really light flavored wine, if that makes sense. And this one smells amazing. So and good. So yes. good. But something that pops in the head, my head, not really. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think I've ever had that experience that you've mentioned a couple times now of, of like a memory coming back. I'm typically not a foodie or any of that. I enjoy wine for just the process of of it and the flavors that it it's, you know, it's different every time. Well, as long as you enjoy it, if you're drinking wine, oh, then I, I like you. It's fine. You yeah, can, everybody oh, can, everybody totally. can find something out of wine. When I think about Rioja, one of the really interesting things about just the region in general is it's so regulated by the aging requirements and also oak barrel usage. So at Lopez Heredia, for example, they actually make their own barrels there too. There's a cooperage oh, wow. on site. So I was there, they were making barrels on site. They provide it, they repair their own barrels. It's really cool. But oak is so important. So in Rioja, you have, you'll start to see bottles that have these terms on them, like Crianza, Reserva, Gran Reserva. 
And really, mm-hmm. that's just referring to how long it's been aged and any special attention given to the oak aging requirement. So that just kind of depends. So you, I okay. think you have a reserva, but yeah. So this one is, it's all about how much is aged in the oak and the oak expresses certain flavors. It's kind of like, think about it like a spice cabinet, like a winemaker is saying, okay, I want to use this type of oak because I want these type of flavors. So in Rioja Mm -hmm. in particular, the American oak is typically used, especially for this wine. American oak, when I am tasting a wine that has American oak, I always get like coconut. Sometimes there's like a sunscreen type of thing that doesn't, I don't, (laughs) trust me, it's delicious. (laughs) But like dill, dill and coconut and those types of things, that tells me if I smell it in the wine, I'm probably American oak. And a very famous place for using oak like that is Rioja. So I have found when I'm tasting red wines and I smell that, I can connect it to the type of oak usage, which is is really cool. I watched all those Psalm movies and I found all that, the whole process, completely fascinating and also recognized that it wasn't for me at all. (laughs) <laughs> like for me to go through that process like you're not gonna I, be our next psalm oh, oh no 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 chance dang. no chance and just in the movies the parts that like i remember the most are some of the terms that they would say to describe the wine like this smelled like cut tennis balls and i'm like that doesn't sound appealing to me on a, a wine to drink so i i thought those movies were great just for Chad's education like, not- right Chad's like, I'm not buying that tennis ball wine. I'm not doing no, that. No, like that one can stay stay over there. That's okay. But, it, you know, the, the intensity to go through all that, I just couldn't imagine. I like wine, but I don't think on that scale to any degree. But that's okay. So I'm going to go ahead and try this. Let's Please see do. It... Please do. Okay. So here we go. I saw there was like a time, there was a time click there. I was watching the, yeah. the counter clock down and then okay i have ideas <laughs> okay so it's like a little apple to me kind of like i don't know if that's even but when i taste wine that's like this this is one that i normally like in about 30 minutes mm. not that i don't like this that's not what i'm saying at all because i i really this really tastes really really good and I don't even know how to describe this. So anyone listening right now, I hope that you can put yourself in my shoes as this newbie trying to describe what, what's going on. But it almost tastes like in 30 minutes or 40 minutes, this will be like perfect for me. And I don't know what, what that is or why that is or what, but I've had other wines that are very similar when opened. And then I think that I like them better after they sit for a minute. I don't know. And you Thoughts said on you- that? Well, you told me that you like bigger, bolder red wines. And so I Mm -hmm. think that you're looking for that flavor expression to be a little bit stronger. And potentially with this one, because you just opened the bottle and this is, we didn't even tell people, this is 2011. It's been in the bottle for for quite a minute there. Um, And it's been aging and it it was something that, you know, it might need a little bit of air to express fully the depth of the characteristics. And so that's very exciting. When I think about this wine in particular, I often get these exotic spices that happen, and maybe you're not getting that quite yet. Also, strawberry, ripe strawberry, fruit leather type of thing that happens. Sometimes there's like a pomegranate, like a crunchy red fruit, but all of that could be expressed over time. And you said you like something with a little bit more bigger complexity. So I can understand that you're waiting on that wine to tell you more about itself. (laughs) 
you brought up the oak parts in that and the woodsy parts. I think if I were to pick my favorites, it would lean more on those versus the fruits, if that makes sense. That's um, so perfect, Chad. That's exactly what you can tell to any wine professional in a shop, at a restaurant. That right there, the professional who knows their book, who knows their inventory, if you say you want something that expresses oak and leads with oak, especially on a red wine or that kind of thing, they will have so much fun picking something out for you. That's such okay. a particular category that they can then eliminate other ones and they will be able to focus on finding you something that expresses more oak characteristics. That's okay. exactly why tasting and paying attention helps you to drink things that you like more often. Let me jump back in here. So like, I've really enjoyed this. I can't wait to try more of it, but I have other questions. So I'm not going to sit here and just drink wine in your face and, uh, and make you jealous. I, <laughs> I want to do a little bit, uh, a little bit more learning here in wine. You know, the traditional side of wine with like this bottle from a 130 year old vineyard, they're going to do everything mostly the old school way. Right. And then the new school stuff is kind of like, well, corks aren't great because they can leak. And if we put a real cap on it, we know the wine's sealed or, you know, box wine is making a, a bigger trend anymore these days just because it's stores easier and more affordable or whatnot. But there's also some good ones out there probably if, if you can call them that. What are your thoughts on how all of this is like progressing? Ooh, you brought up the design aspect. And I'm thinking about this podcast in particular and how wine fits in this space of industrial design or innovations in supply chain and all of that. You are hitting a really interesting topic because things are changing all the time of types of closures that people think are the best ones to use right now right. or the types of packaging is completely changing. You'll see people putting for the first time their wines in box wine form, or they're making the glass bottles way less because then you save on shipping costs. Like, oh, yeah. there's a lot happening in the design space when it comes to wine. And I don't have the full scope of knowledge of the industrial side of that. But what I do know is that packaging innovations are at the forefront for a lot of people, but it really comes from people focusing on sustainability right now and trying to be more environmentally friendly and creating these ecosystems that allow us to continue producing wine. So whether sure. it's saving costs, saving the environment at the same time, those are typically at the very forefront for a lot of wine producers. So that yeah. expresses itself in farming practices and packaging and closures and all of that. I recently had an incredible conversation with a winemaker who was here in Atlanta his name is Mark Neal of Neal Family Vineyards, and they're, they're in Napa Valley. And he's been oh. making wine forever, but he was telling me about a more recent trellising system. Now, trellising helps to train vines, so it's like you'll have the wires in the vineyards and it holds the grapevines to grow in a certain pattern. He was telling me about a trellising system where it's his dual varietal trellising system because this can adjust to the changing temperatures and sun exposure. So he was doing this thing where he's growing whites and red vines together, like one after the other. And that mm -hmm. means that the top hanging reds can shade the white grapes that are more susceptible to sunburn. And I was just like, this is, this is amazing. It's such a design yeah, choice. You're choosing yeah. how to help your vineyards grow to protect against the changing climate and environment. It's, 
it's fascinating. That's all down to yeah, design choice. Yeah, yeah, that's really I loved cool. it. Well, I also think like to design choice and packaging and whatever, I think some winemakers have realized that if they can make it more travel accessible, then people would buy it. And to not have to have a corkscrew on hand when on the go, like those kinds of things have made half bottles are available, all that stuff. It's pretty, it's pretty cool. Canned wine. Canned wine is a total thing. Canned (laughs) wine, yes. Yep. And it's perfect for your concerts, for places where glass is not allowed, let's say beach, that kind of thing. It's it's wonderful. And uh, a friend of mine who's making some canned rosé in Sonoma County, he also noticed that he can ship it during the hotter months when he normally wouldn't be shipping his other wines. But the canned packaging allows for different timing. So possibilities are endless with innovation here but at the end of the day it's to still help people get access and to help the environment be sustainable so i mean we're on a podcast and uh you have your own can we talk about like you've been doing it much longer than we have how has podcasting like helped your business how has it helped uh you reach more people just share a little bit about that if you don't mind It's been really weird to be a guest on a podcast, let me tell you. (laughs) I'm way better at being a host, Chad. Um, But it's, it's very fun. It's a very interesting opportunity to continue the wine conversation. I started taking it more seriously during the pandemic. I missed traveling for wine. I missed going to trade events and shopping with all my industry friends and having those bottle shares and all of that. So I decided that I wanted to have conversations with people and I could do it virtually. And then sharing those conversations sparked people's interest in either collaborating or doing more events or exploring new regions together. I realized it was a wonderful platform for people, especially working in the industry who are spending a lot of time in their cars. As a wine rep, you're driving around, you're making deliveries, you're meeting with your accounts you have a lot of time in your car. Audio platform to have wine conversations turns out Mm -hmm. to be really great and a great opportunity to connect people. So I realized that I could do that sitting here in Atlanta, talk to my friends in France, talk to people in California, and I wanted to change the conversation at the time. Most of the wine media that I saw was based in New York or California or even Chicago. Mm -hmm. There wasn't much national media about our wine scene here, but it was thriving. And I was like, oh, well, let's just start telling some stories. Let's just tell some stories from the Southeast wine industry. And Mm -hmm. it kind of intrigued people, I guess, enough to download. And now I'm finding that it tells a broader picture of everybody's path into wine. And it makes people excited to then continue to either study or maybe switch careers. I've had people tell Mm -hmm. me that they've been inspired by someone's story on the podcast and they're like i was in the similar boat i used to be a flight attendant i'm going to go into the wine industry now like that has happened and um i think that the podcasting allows for worldwide connections on a very easy accessible platform i love it yeah totally yeah we've we've had a lot of fun with it we've got to talk to a variety of people it's been a lot of fun for sure the holiday season's coming up here a lot more gatherings with family and friends typically happen do you have like a top few wines that you would always recommend at an event or a gathering or would you just tell people you know just go try like what would you pick at your table well that's a very personal 
I have a lot of opinions about what I serve in my own home, but I want everyone else to enjoy finding out what they like to serve. For the holidays, I am all about having a story connected with the bottle I'm serving. So I will not be able to tell you exactly exactly certain wines to go purchase, but I encourage people around the holidays, this is your time to open a bottle from that place you just visited. Is it a wine that you picked up while you were traveling? Is it from someone's hometown that'll be at your gathering with you? It's the time to open bottles that mean something. And I typically have that year round, but I think around the holidays, (laughs) when you open something on your table and you're sharing it with a group of people, the wine will be enjoyable. The connection to a place, a memory, an experience will make it even more enjoyable. So that would be my suggestion. As you're shopping, think about significant places or vintages if it's a certain year, if this is the time to open someone's birthday wine that you're getting to see around the holidays, whatever it is, wine can do that. You can have a different story connected to not just the alcoholic beverage. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I think it probably helps people remember the experience more when you connect it that way. So if it was a wine that they really liked, I guarantee they'll remember it better when the story's connected, right? Absolutely. So that's pretty cool. That's good advice. This next section we like to call let's see what sticks I'm just going to ask you some funny or even rapid questions and we'll just see a little bit about your personality without getting too deep on any of these so we've talked a lot about wine let's let's start with an easy one here for you what's your favorite food if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life what would it be pasta because pasta, there's so many right. different variations of it <laughs> so yeah. give me a, give me some noodles and you can have every flavor possible I love that. And then dessert then? Do you have a favorite dessert to go with Cheesecake. That? Cheesecake. Oh. Absolutely 100% cheesecake. <laughs> Sign me up. That I'll never turn down cheesecake, that's for sure. Do you know much about Harry Potter? Only no. that I've been to the theme park in Universal. That's about it. That's about <laughs> it. That's all I've got. I had a butter we'll beer there. We'll skip that one. We'll skip that one. <laughs> I don't know a whole lot about it. We'll skip that one. Did you have an ima- imaginary friend as a child? No, not, well, a friend, I guess, not a human friend. I had an imaginary pet friend. Does that count? Oh, I love that. Yeah, that counts. That's awesome. I was really into animals. I thought I was going to be a veterinarian or something. So my imaginary would be like having an entire room full of animals. I love that. Animals are, I like animals more than people most of the time. (laughs) So, So I'm with you on that one. Favorite movie of all time. Great Gatsby. I don't know. Oh, that's I, I, don't, I don't know where that came from. I've never said that as that answer, but that's what I was thinking of. Actually, maybe book and movie. I do really, really think that that movie is. I really think the story is really intriguing. Okay. All right. That's a. I haven't had that answer yet, so you win for that one too. So one of my favorites we usually always ask is, if you could speak every language fluently, would you choose that or talk to animals? See, this is probably hard for you because you loved animals. I, But yeah, you travel. Just, so, like, would it be easier? I just confess that I wished I had a room full of animals. I think talking to animals would be really interesting, but I'm thinking of the utility of travel, fluid in every language, because going to especially wine regions where you can speak the language, the depth of connection is exponential when you can speak the language. So we'll, we'll go with that. And I'll just have to okay. make imaginary animal friends until then. We'll use that one. We'll use that one. 
What is your hidden talent? Do you have any hidden talents? Well, my hidden talent prior to this podcast would be that I can identify wines just by tasting them where they're from, but I already confessed that to you, so it's not much of a secret (laughs) anymore. (laughs) No, that's awesome. I I can't do that. I think there'll be no chance I'll ever be able to do that, so that's pretty cool. Do you have a favorite board game? I have a least favorite board game. (laughs) Yeah, what's that? (laughs) Monopoly. That game, I have... I have never played Monopoly without it ending by somebody crying. There's always <laughs> tears in Monopoly, and I, so, I don't know if I have a favorite board game, but I know it's not Monopoly. Okay. We will not be playing Monopoly around the holidays at your house. I, not we'll, even we'll a chance. that one off. Well, that's awesome. Well, I really do appreciate you walking me through this wine tasting. Um, I can't wait to enjoy the rest of this bottle. Thank you for your time. If you could... Let's share some ways that like our guests could follow up and learn more about you, maybe your social channels or websites or whatnot. Well, thank you so much, Chad. And I am very happy that you have an open bottle of wine to continue enjoying today. <laughs> Can't have a bad day when that's around. Right. Yeah, I, I encourage, uh, I love conversations about wine. So my podcast is called A Cork in the Road. Just about to publish the 118th episode of that. So there's wow, a lot. Congrats. I can't That's promise awesome. because, thank you. I can't promise that I've listened to any of them after recording them. So I don't know. <laughs> I can't listen to myself, but there's 118 of them. My Instagram is a cork in the road. You can also go to www.acorkintheroad.com for all of my events and updates. Can people book, uh, like, how you virtually shopped for me? Is that like an option still in your world? Oh, no, I, I'm not going to say no. I absolutely used to do that for everybody during the pandemic. Now it's not as demand, but if you need me to look up a wine shop in your neighborhood, I am happy to do that for you. No, I I think it's super cool. It's a cool business idea. I think that probably needs to be out there, but you're right. Like after the pandemic, people started doing it themselves, but for bigger events, people like to know that they're making a good choice and a pro can help you make a better choice. You know, one thing I do consult on quite often still is picking wines for weddings. I think that that's such an interesting space to be because you're serving a bunch of people. You also often have a pretty tight budget, but you want some quality memorable wines. So I do enjoy the challenge of here's my budget. Here's my type of event. I need this many bottles. What would you serve? And I'm happy to always be consulted on that type of thing. Oh, well, awesome. Well, hopefully someone will look you up for that exact need from listening to us on this podcast today. (laughs) I hope so. so. Let's plan plan some weddings, plan some events. I'm there for you. You have to let me know if anyone does. I'd love to hear. Um, I think it'd be pretty cool. So thank you again for everything. Um, And we'll chat again, I'm sure. So good. Cheers. Cheers until the next time, Chad. Happy hour. Cheers. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Love Your Space, a podcast from Walsney Love. Please like and subscribe wherever you podcast. And follow us on socials at Walsney Love or stop by and say hello at walsneylove.com. Thank you for sharing your space with us.